Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. Here is the deal. Let me kind of go through what we know, and then I want to discuss this with you. It's just mind-boggling, and it might not technically be illegal, but if it's not, it should be. The reality is no car insurance, no problem. Nuts to that. Let's get them off the road. Impound the cars. Make the streets safer. The AccuNet Mortgage Talk and Text Line is open now. Give us a call at 855-616-1620. What are those people talking about? You got a deal. A deal is a deal. Stop whining about it. Live up to its obligations. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Good afternoon, Wisconsin. Welcome to the show. So glad to have you with us. I, we, we started the program off with this topic yesterday, and I, I think it, it bears repeating because things are getting worse. But what is going on in Wauwatosa is, in my opinion, absolutely appalling, and it is this giving in to the mob. I'm talking about the, the story of the Wauwatosa police officer, Joseph Mensah, who has been involved in, in three on-in-the-line-of-duty shootings in the last five years. Now, let me say this at the beginning. That's seems like a lot to me. I mean, there are lots and and I know lots and lots of people who spent their entire career in law enforcement and they never had to fire their weapon, much less having to fire it three times in in a five year period. All right. So I, I understand it seems like a lot. But but what's going on now is you have this mob rule that is out there and you have a a a mob that is demanding that Mensa be fired. And now you have the, the Common Council, which doesn't make that decision. It's ultimately the Fire and Police Commission. But but they are on board with this. Yesterday, the Fire and the, the Common Council you know, issued a resolution. This is what the resolution says. The city of Wauwatosa recognizes the community trauma regarding police officer-involved deaths in the city. There are strongly held differences of opinion within the community as to what should be done. Doing nothing is not an option. This is the Wauwatosa Village Board. Each individual deserves due process under law. That's nice that they think that. There are legal limitations on what actions the city can take. It is imperative, however, for the interests of all parties that the city facilitate the transition of Officer Joseph Mensa from employment by the Wauwatosa Police Department. Facilitate the transition of the officer. What does that mean? It means they think he should be canned. The Common Council has ordered the city administrator and the police chief to effectuate such a change as quickly as possible. We ask all sides to allow that process to occur. To which I say, wait a second. Now, look, I take no position on whether or not this officer is a good officer or a bad officer. He's been involved in three officer-involved shootings in the last five years. The first two have been thoroughly investigated, and he has been exonerated. In one case, there was a guy that was menacing with a with a sword, refused to drop the sword. He fired, killed the man. The second instance is where he came upon a guy in the middle of the night who was sleeping in his car in the park. Guy had a gun on the seat next to him. Story is, at least the investigation found, the guy reached for the gun, Guy fired, the police officer fired. Both of those shootings, like I say, were thoroughly investigated. And it was determined that this was a legitimate shooting. It was an exercise of self-defense. The third matter that is pending, it's pending, involves what happened out at Mayfair Mall in February. Police were called because there was a disturbance involving a bunch of young people. Um, several of the young people start to run away. He, Mensa, is one of the reporting officers, according to the police. And the chief says he believes this shooting is going to turn out to be justified. The story that the police say, their version is that the 17-year-old 
was in possession of a stolen gun and fired at the officers, and the officer returned fire. All right? Now, I, the, the family apparently takes the position that not only did the kid not uh, fire, a uh, 17-year-old not fire his weapon, he didn't have a weapon in the first place. I don't know what the truth is. Like I say, the police chief has always said he thinks this is going to turn out to be a legitimate shooting. Um, it'll be a justified sort of shooting. The matter is under investigation. I don't know how it's going to turn out, but it is pending. And, and all I know is that if you have a police officer who, you know, has been put in these situations where he's got these life or deaths, these life or death cases, you cannot allow some politicians and the mob to, to necessarily force him out just because people, I mean, if these are legitimate shootings, and again, I'm the first to acknowledge that three shootings in five years, you know, raises, at least in my mind, some, it raises an eyebrow. It, it, it does. But if it turns out that the shooting was, in fact, legitimate in February and justified, just like the other two were, the idea of the mob trying to force this officer out, we've got to transition him away, we've got to fire him, we've got to get rid of him, is grossly unfair. It also sends a message to every other police officer in Wauwatosa that if you have to defend yourself if you're put in a life or death situation where you have to use your firearm just be prepared if the mob decides that they don't like what you did or they don't like the result that you're not going to have anybody in city hall that's going to support you when again the mob comes and demands your firing again i i I don't know that this officer meant that i don't know if he's a good cop i don't know if he's a bad cop but i i do know that where you have like a, a vocal small group of of citizens who complain, well, we think this guy, this this was an unjustified shooting. Okay, if it turns out to be an unjustified shooting, then then you got every basis to prosecute him, get rid of him, whatever. But, I mean, think about what message this sends to other police officers if you decide, hey, you've used your gun, you've been required to do it in the line of duty, defending yourself, it's a legitimate sort of shooting, and, and now because you have some active and vocal members of the community that complain about your legitimate exercise of your right to defend yourself, if that's what it was, and and now you're going to fire them. And to me, that's just absolutely appalling. You wait until the investigation is over. You determine what the investigation finds, and then you make the decision. Now, it might be that even though all three shootings, let's assume, come back and determine to be justified. Might be that even though all three are justified, you know, the Fire and Police Commission is going to say, okay, well, we think maybe there were other ways that the officer could have handled that. He seems to be putting himself in these situations where even though deadly force is justified, it, it may be avoided. Okay, that that's a sort of different conversation. But they're trying to run this guy out of the police department on a rail, and that strikes me as wrong. And it's not so much that I'm defending the police officer, it is that I am defending the process because I care about the process and what happens the next time it's a police officer who finds himself confronted Let's say that the police version is correct by a 17-year-old with a stolen gun who fires on the cops, if that's what happened last February. What do you do the next time a Wauwatosa police officer is faced with that situation and uses deadly force to respond to the use of deadly force by the bad guy? All right, just because... 
family members or protesters or whatever decide that they don't like that result? Are we now going to run that police officer, you know, out of of town? Are we going to run the next police officer who does that out of town? You've got to let the process work. And for the village board to be weighing in or the common council, I guess is what they're called, the common council to be passing a resolution without knowing the results of this simply because you've got some vocal members of the community demanding the guy be fired, but the investigation's not complete. Shame on them. Just absolutely shame on them. Let the process play out. And then once you know the facts, decide, is that too much to ask for? All right. When we come back, the Milwaukee mass mask mandate goes into effect tomorrow got some interesting numbers and and maybe a provocative question that i want to pose to you stick around you're listening to jeff wagner on wtmj the brewers are almost back but first we've got one more look at a brewers classic join us tonight at six o'clock for the brewers and the reds from 2018 in a game that featured 25 runs in the first cycle of christian yelich's blossoming career we're one week closer to live Brewers baseball. Brewers Classic is sponsored by Dave Drake Camp Heating, Boucher Automotive, Previa, Badger Mutual, Chevrolet, and West Bend Insurance. Actually, during the break, my producer, Gru, posed this question. He said, you know, before the Brewers, the, the season, before it was called off, um, we, we were talking about this thing called the over-under. And there, there is this place called Las Vegas. And when Las Vegas was, was open, you could, you could place wagers on, on different things. And one of the things that I always do is I, I like to place a bet on the over-under for the baseball season. It kind of gives me a rooting interest as the season goes on. And and what happens is in Las Vegas, they, they will set a line. And they will say, this is how many games we think the Brewers are going to win, or this is what the line is. And then you can bet on whether they will win more or whether they will win less. And I, I forget what, I was in I was in Vegas in February, and I did, in fact, bet. I want, I think it was like 86 games was, it, was what I think it was at the time. Yeah, I think it was maybe a... Two or three games over five hundred. Right. Well, it was, yeah, it was like eight, I think it was. I've got I've got the ticket because the, it was eighty six games, and now now the, the ticket's canceled. So because they don't play the one hundred sixty two game season, obviously. So next time I go out, I, I get I just I cash the ticket and get my money back. But there, um, with the new season coming on, Grew asked me the the question. He said, well, "What's the what's the oh if you were in Vegas?" You know, what's the over-under for the Brewers this year? It's a 60-game season, keep in mind, and they're going to play 40 games against N National League Central opponents and the other 20 games against uh, teams from the American League Central. That was kind of interesting. I, I pulled it up here. The Brewers over-under, according to uh, the sports book that, that I have up here, 30.5. So essentially, they, they think the Brewers are basically a 500-ball club, you know, and so... Um, if you were to bet the over, you would be betting that they will win 31 games. Um, that, that's that's what you're saying. So they finish at least 31 and, and 29. You don't get more money if they, they do better than that. That's kind of how it, it works. Um, okay, so if you were out in Las Vegas, Grew, and you had, I don't know, some money jangling around in your pocket and you decided to put a wager, where would you go, over or under? I would take the over. I, th- I think pretty comfortably they can get at least 32, 34 games. I would, too. I I, I I have no idea what this baseball season is going to look like, but yeah, any any team, any team with Christian Yelich on it, yeah, I 
And we got the universal DH, so we know that you know Braun or somebody's always going to be playing. Yeah. Never going to have a pitcher trying I, to hit the ball. Yeah, I would. Um, I I would. I would take it too. I I would. Um, you know, for because it's essentially you're, you're betting that they're going to be just a tad better than 500. I'm kind of looking through this. The teams with the the highest over, um, the Brewers again 30.5. Uh, the Braves, uh, 33.5. Cleveland, 33.5. Um, Houston, Houston, 35.5. See, I'm not sure. I, I think Houston might be kind of a train wreck with all the, the situations, but Houston, um, again, one of the favorites, the Dodgers, their number is 37.5, uh, Minnesota, 34.5, Yankees, 37.5. So it would seem to be that Houston, Washington, the, the uh, World Series champions, they're 33.5. So uh, the Brewers are kind of middle of the pack, but I agree with you. I would, I take the, I take the over. I think we're going to have some stiff competition in the NL Central, but the AL Central for the past two years has been one of the worst or least competitive of of the all divisions of the entire MLB. So yeah, but, right. White Sox are better. White Sox, um, you know, they they made a couple signings, including the uh, Grandal from the Brewers, yeah, yeah. and he's with the White Sox. Their their over under is thirty one point five. Um, uh, yeah, Kansas City. Kansas City's kind of a train wreck. I don't know. Um, th- that's one of the things that makes it interesting, and that's one of the reasons why we've got baseball coming up real soon. Okay, when we come back, I, I want to give you some numbers about how bad the coronavirus problem is in the state, and in particular, how bad it is in the city of Milwaukee, and then raise the question about masks or no masks. Do people or should people feel comfortable going into the city of Milwaukee? Stick around. Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. All right. The city of Milwaukee has passed one of the strictest mask requirements in in the country. It requires people to essentially wear a mask anytime they are inside a place open to the public. And also, you are responsible, you are required, and I think, what is it, children over the age of three or over the age of four, required to wear a mask anytime they are outside if there is a chance or whenever they come into contact with somebody who is less than who is uh, who is two yards or less from them. So as as a practical matter, this pretty much means everybody is going to have to wear masks anywhere. I mean, I guess if you're walking the dog in the middle of the night at two in the morning and there's nobody around, maybe. But if you're just going to pass somebody on the street, you've got to wear the mask. If you are working outside doing landscaping or roofing, you've got to wear the mask. If you are delivering mail on a mail route and you come into contact with people, you're going to have to be wearing the mask. It, it It's it is as extensive a mask ordinance as I think you'll find pretty much anywhere, not just the indoor requirement, but the outdoor requirement. All right. Now, now, Mayor Barrett, as he proudly signs this into to law yesterday, he says, well, you, you've got a choice. If you don't want to comply with this, well, it's simple. Then stay home. Well, I, I was kind of struck by that because I, I sent, as a matter of fact, if you follow me on Twitter, I sent a note out it's at Jeff Wagner 620. It, it, that's not exactly your, your only choices. I mean, now, maybe if, if you live in the city of Milwaukee, it, it's, it's your choice. But there is another option, which is if you don't want to comply in that fashion, simply leave the city for shopping, for recreation, for 
uh, dining, and for most other activities. Because I, I think you will find in most other places, perhaps with the exception of, of Madison, that you're going to find if there are mask rules, they are very, they are less significant and less draconian. But it, I got to thinking about this, and I, I want, I'm a do the numbers guy, and I wanted to pull the numbers because the one thing that is true is that the problems with coronavirus in the city of Milwaukee are, are so much greater than the problems with coronavirus everywhere else that, that maybe an ordinance like this would in fact be justified. And if it is in fact justified by the numbers, maybe that raises the question of mask or no mask. All right, if you could avoid right now the city of Milwaukee, should you do that? Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. Okay, here here are the the COVID numbers. And I I ran the numbers. They they, they always fluctuate a little bit. Uh, The numbers I had were from yesterday afternoon. So there's a little bit of a change. But, But follow me on this. All right, since the pandemic started in Wisconsin, there's been about 38,000 positive tests, right? About, about 38,000 positive tests. Um, we've had 826 deaths. And, and the good news about that is it's been relatively stable. You haven't been seeing exponential increases. But 826 deaths. Currently, there's 293 people who are hospitalized. Um, there's 368 ICU beds who are available. So at least right now, hospital system is not in any danger of being overwhelmed. And 78% of the individuals who were tested positive for COVID-19 have fully recovered. So that, that, that's, that's a good, that's good news as well. But there, there's no question the numbers are starting to spike. All right. Here is the deal. Of all the positive tests across the state, of all those 38,000, 38 percent of the positive tests 38 percent come from milwaukee county milwaukee county so if again let's round up a little bit about four in ten of the positive cases come from milwaukee county so that tells you that you know there's been a problem in milwaukee county you break it down though and it gets staggering um of of the milwaukee county tests that have turned out to be positive 71% come from the city of Milwaukee, 71%. And I, I, I can give you the hard numbers, but let, let's just deal with the percentages. So at the end of the day, if you look at all the positive cases of, of COVID-19 across the state, what you find is that 27% of all the cases in the state come from the city of Milwaukee. So follow me. More than one out of every four cases comes from the, the city of Milwaukee that has uh, about slightly under 600,000 people in population. So th- there, there's no question that the city of Milwaukee, for whatever reason, it is a coronavirus hotspot. It, it just it just is. And the city of Milwaukee, again, for whatever reason, and people can debate what that is, it is one of the places that's driving the whole coronavirus explosion. And it's not to say that, you know, people in Dane County, especially younger people, haven't gotten it recently when they reopened the bars and you had the problem with the meatpacking plants in uh, Racine County. 
and and up in in Green Bay, Brown County. But but Milwaukee is a hot spot. So bear with me on this one. If if you accept that as a premise that Milwaukee has a disproportionate number of positive cases, you can, I guess, justify this idea that Milwaukee needs to be more thorough, extreme, use whatever word you want to use in in implementing its policies. So, you know, maybe you could say, like I, I argue, that that the outdoor mask requirement really isn't going to stop much of the spread of COVID-19. But but you could argue, well, but, you know, Milwaukee is, is just comparatively so disproportionate, so out of control, so whatever, that we have to have much more restrictive alternatives for the city of Milwaukee than you do in other areas of the state. All right, and, and you can make that argument based on the numbers. I guess here's the other thing that, that comes to mind, though. If we accept that premise, if we accept the idea that essentially wearing a mask indoors in pretty much all situations is necessary in the city of Milwaukee, and that wearing a mask outdoors in the city of Milwaukee it is necessary in almost all circumstances, I guess the question that, that, that I have is if, if it's really that bad and there's that much, those many concerns, should people just at least for the time being, try to be better off simply by trying to avoid the city of Milwaukee. Now, I understand that you can't always do that. I mean, if you live in the city of Milwaukee, oh, okay, they, these these are the rules. But there's a lot of people that um, have options as to where they, they travel and have, you know, different choices. And so I guess the question would be, all right, you know, city of Milwaukee says it's so bad, you got to wear masks, got to wear these masks everywhere, and you can make an argument that the numbers bear it out. All right, is that also an argument now that for at least the foreseeable future, as long as this health crisis goes on, that maybe it's not worth taking the risk, period? And if you have choices and you can avoid going to some of these COVID-19 hotspots like the city of Milwaukee, should you do that? 855-616-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I mean, think of this another way. You know, there, there are hot spots around the country. Uh, Miami is a hot spot around this country. No way in God's green earth I'm going to Miami. Mask, no mask, I'm, I'm not going to Miami because it, it's a hot spot. Houston is a hot spot in this country. I, I'm I, I'm not going to Houston. Back when New York was the epicenter of this, mask, no mask. I, I just I, I just didn't think it was healthy or smart to go to one of the epicenters. I wouldn't have gone to New York on on a bet. So I guess my question is, to the extent, let's I don't want to argue about whether the mask mandate is necessary or not. I'll even assume that based on the numbers in the city of Milwaukee, it's what they need to do because Milwaukee has a more acute problem. So, I mean, my question is, is then if you have the choice, is it better just for the foreseeable future to stay away from Milwaukee? And, and that's sort of what the mayor implied in a way. He said, look, if you don't want to follow the mask mandate, just stay home. Okay, well, I, I don't know. Even if you follow the mask mandate, is it best to, you know, avoid certain situations? If the brewers allowed people into opening day, masks or not, I wouldn't be going. I, I don't want to be around all sorts of people. I don't want to go to COVID-19 hotspots. 855-616-1620. Let's start with Tim in Fredonia. Tim, you're on WTMJ. 
Hey, Jeff. Good Hi. afternoon, Hi, sir. Tim. Yes, sir. You know, I was just I was just uh, telling him I'm taking my mom to lunch tomorrow, and I am. Well, she lives on the Tosa Milwaukee line over there by DSHS, Jeff. And um, I'm avoiding. I was going to go to a place on Capitol Drive, Mykonos, but I am going to take her out west now to Brookfield to Maxims because tell you what, Jeff, I don't want to wear a mask. I hate them things. And she, you know, she's going to be 79 and she's okay without it too. And we're, we're just going to do that. We're going to avoid Milwaukee altogether and take my business to where I can go somewhere where I'm not required by law or by ordinance, I mm-hmm. should say, to wear a mask because they bug the hell out of me, Jeff. It's just the way I am. It's my personal choice. And well, and that- wear one, great. And you that's know, no. If I mean, th- I don't, that's fine too. Again, Tim. I mean, I, I think, I think a, a lot of people are going to vote with their feet and 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 do this. And and by the way, some people are saying, "Oh, this is just your way of you know undermining a mask requirement." Now, I, again, I I think as a general rule, wearing the masks outside is an overreaction. But I'm not even going to defend. I'm not going to debate that. And I guess I, I'm more intrigued by the idea of. I mean, if you look at the numbers, I understand why you can make an argument that the city of Milwaukee needs to be more aggressive, comprehensive, draconian, whatever word you want to use, than perhaps other parts of of the state where you you don't have the the huge numbers of COVID-19 cases coming. But I do think it's an interesting question that masks or no masks, if if this is a a COVID hotspot where, again, 25, 27 percent of all the COVID cases come from the city of Milwaukee, might people, to the extent you have an option, just, just be better off avoiding the city of Milwaukee for the time being 855-616-1620 let's talk to james in milwaukee james you're on wtmj hey good afternoon um i hate to be the baby ruth in the punch bowl here but isn't this shockingly obvious (laughs) If, if you don't live in the city of milwaukee no you should absolutely not be going into a hotbed of covid and suscepting yourself and your family and loved ones and other people to the increased risk of getting this disease. That, of course, is a hoax and not a big deal. But but more crucially here, not to give a, a lesson in epidemiology, it, it, people need to understand something. I, I, I can't believe this needs to be said, but it, apparently it does. The population density of the Milwaukee metro area is about 6,000 people per square mile. The state of Wisconsin, outside of Milwaukee and major metro areas, well, actually, if you include other metro areas, is about 75 to square mile. The population density of the city of Milwaukee is 100 times yep. more concentrated than the balance of the state. So, again, I'm not trying to be difficult here, but why is any of this news? This, yep. this, this should be, I mean, this the lowest denominator of common sense here. And, and Again, unless you you really shouldn't be going into the city of Milwaukee or any other area that has has raised levels of this. this Well, it's like to your point. It's like New York, James. You know, I mean, New York. You know, back at at the epicenter of this when this all started. You know, New York, which has the highest population density, I believe, of anywhere in the continental United States. People, you know, living on top of each other and everybody taking public transit. That was one of the things that caused the explosion. And it's why you, you couldn't have paid me to go to New York during. During during the highlight, because you were just you know statistically exposing yourself to a greater chance of risk. Well, what upsets me about this, Jeff, and I'm not saying you're doing this, but there are undertones everywhere as this becomes just one of the worst political footballs you can ever imagine. Is there a racial and political undertones because of the nature of the Milwaukee metro area mm-hmm. and why this is happening? Instead of just basic common sense. Yeah, you look at the numbers. 
Yeah, no, thanks, so, Nicole. No, again, yeah. you, you, you look at, at the numbers, right? This, this isn't, to me, and that's one of the things, because I, I want to approach this from a different perspective other than talking about, okay, will people wear masks or, or not? The rules are, in, starting, I think, tomorrow, if you're out in public, essentially almost anywhere, you've got to wear a mask in the city of Milwaukee. Oh, okay, and you can then decide whether or not you want to go to the city of Milwaukee. If you go, you're expected to follow the rules. Because, I mean, I understand. There's some people say, I'll never wear masks. Other people say, oh, what's the big deal about wearing masks? I think maybe, you know, the, the more intriguing thing is, again, given the, these numbers, is it if you can avoid the, these hot spots, and the city of Milwaukee is a hot spot, if you can avoid it, maybe is that the better thing to do for the foreseeable future? And maybe if people avoid it, and you have other people that are then wearing the masks or whatever, and you turn it around quickly, then then you can maybe you know open back up for for business. But I'm not going to Miami. I'm not going to Houston. And I, I don't know is if you need to wear the masks, and that's fine. They say they do. Okay, does that tell you something? Eight five five six one six one six twenty. Let's talk to Lori and Slinger. Lori, you're on WTMJ. Hello. Hi, Lori. What do you think? Um, my feeling is, no matter where we are, I don't see the big deal about wearing a mask, why people can't wear them. Even if on the outset, if it didn't help anything, I'd rather err on the side of caution. Mm-hmm. And I don't understand the, the argument here. Well, we're not talking about the it. argument about masks or not, but l- let me ask you this. Okay, Miami, for example, is one of the, the hot spots. It's where coronavirus is kind of out of control. Would Mask right. or no mask? Would you go to Miami? I don't have to, so I wouldn't right now because I'm trying to avoid things. And yeah. if it can be avoided, why not? Right. That okay. makes perfect sense to me. Right. And that thanks you. And yeah. see Lori, that that's my that, that's my only point. I'm not arguing masks or no masks right now. I mean the the rules are you wear a mask. Okay, so that that's it. And if you as the way the mayor put it, if you don't want to wear a mask, you, you stay home or the corollary to that is you just you, you avoid the, the city. Okay, which I, I th- that's fair. That's what the rules are. But I just think you carry it one step further. And when you look at the numbers and you see some of these hotspots, now a couple of people are saying, is, is it the whole city of Milwaukee or are there areas where there's more intensity? And the answer is yes. There, there's areas of the city of Milwaukee where you have a, a greater outbreak of it than other areas. But at the same time, you know, you, you have to draw certain types of, of limits. And and candidly, I mean, I've gotten to the point now where, again, the masks notwithstanding, I, I'll, I'll wear a mask if you tell me I have to wear a mask, but I am trying to do everything I can to avoid putting myself in situations where I am likely to be exposed to, you know, people that, that have, have had this. I, I mean, I don't want to get the virus. So I, I'm trying I'm trying to be smart about that. And, yes, wearing a mask makes a difference. But, all right, m- maybe does that mean that the areas where there, there are the hot spots you should try to avoid? Just ask it. This is Jeff Wagner. Welcome back to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. <laughs> So very glad to have you with us. I mean, just kind of kind of food for thought out there. If 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 there are hot spots around, 
um, mask, no mask, whatever, are we better off avoiding some of those hot spots for the, the foreseeable future? Um, people are asking me, how long does the Milwaukee mandate, mask mandate stay into effect? And it, it's, it's, it's open-ended. It's, my understanding is it, as long as they've got the health emergency that's declared, the, the mask mandate goes along with it. So is it two weeks? Is it four weeks? Is it four months? Is it a year? Who, who knows? I mean, it's just, it's as long as the health emergency is there. But I guess the, the, the other reality is, I mean, if we need to be smart, one of those things, again, taking care of yourself, maintaining the social distancing, and maybe avoiding to the extent you can some of those areas where you might tend to be exposed. Just saying this. All right. Uh, last night, uh, the political career of a former Alabama senator and former attorney general uh, Jeff Sessions came to an end. You will remember. And this is. This is a, a very ironic situation. Matter of fact, I noted this. If you follow me on Twitter, it's at Jeff Wagner 620. Um, Jeff Sessions deserved better. And this is, I think it's a classic example. And and I, I understand that we have people who listen who you, you might just despise the president. And then there's other people who just absolutely love the president, don't think he can do anything wrong. But this is... This is one of the examples about how dangerous it is to to fall into the orbit of of Donald Trump and to hitch your wagon to his his star, as it were. Jeff Sessions was a career politician who was dominant in his home state of, of Alabama. Sessions could have stayed in the U.S. Senate for as long as he wanted. Jeff Sessions was one of the original people to jump on the Trump train back when, when President Trump first started running in, in 2015. And, and Jeff Sessions, uh, candidly, added a lot of credibility and, I, so I think, gravitas to the Trump campaign. Because here you have this established U.S. senator who, who's out there and saying, hey, look, that this guy... This guy, he deserves to have, you deserve to pay attention to him. He's more than just a, you know, New York real estate developer and a reality TV show star. You know, he, he's got, got some substance to him. So Jeff Sessions was one of these guys who was up front and out front early supporting President Trump. Well, okay, so President Trump surprises everybody. He wins the election back in 2016, or surprises most people. I know some people saw it coming, but not not too many. And President Trump reaches out to Jeff Session, who's, who's a former U.S. attorney for one of the districts in Alabama, and, and tabs him to be the U.S. Attorney General. Um, in, in retrospect, I, I think... Um, the worst decision of Jeff Sessions' career was deciding to leave the U.S. Senate and become the Attorney General of the United States because the honeymoon quickly, quickly ended. If you will recall, what 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 created the huge rift between President Trump and his Attorney General was the fact that the, the Trump the Trump and the Trump campaign and people associated with it were under investigation was their collusion with the Russians, all that stuff. Remember back, I understand that sounds so, you know, 2017, but remember there, there was that big investigations. Jeff Sessions, who at his heart is, I think, a, a very, very ethical lawyer. Okay, he becomes the attorney general and he says, look, I was part of the Trump campaign. I can't Conduct an inv- I cannot oversee an investigation as to whether a campaign that I was an instrumental part of 
was involved in collusion with the Russians. So I need to step back. I need to hire a special counsel or special prosecutor or whatever to do that investigation. And, and once President Trump, that was that was the original sin in the mind of President Trump, that once Sessions stepped back, President Trump felt that then, you know, his executive branch lost control of everything, and then you had the Mueller investigation and all those things. The The mistake that Sessions made was in taking the job in the first place, because he should have been smart enough to see that he would have had to recuse himself. And I, I think he probably figured, well, President Trump isn't going to break bad on me. You know, he'll understand why I've got to recuse myself. And if we did nothing wrong, there's going to be no problem. Well, President Trump never forgave him for recusing himself. And, and so Jeff Sessions, his mistake was taking the job. Period. And so then he was he was just running. Last night there was a primary. He was trying to get his seat back. He was running against the former uh, football coach from Auburn. And, and President Trump was, was just out there with a scorched earth, earth policy. And, and Jeff Sessions only got 37% of the vote. He's not going to be the Republican nominee. His political career has pretty much come to an end. But um, in all honesty, I think he deserved a, a lot better. And I think it's pretty clear that... You know, the worst decision of his career was accepting the offer to join the Trump administration. And he's not the first and probably not going to be the last person to come to that conclusion. I think he deserved better. Back with more in just a minute. This is Jeff Wagner. Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Eric Bilstead, I've got some good news for you. Okay. Okay, during the break, you and my producer were all excited because we have all these different TV monitors here, and mm-hmm. one is always tuned into our, our our former sister TV station, today's TMJ4. Yep. And at 1 o'clock, Days of Our Lives comes on. You were very excited. There was a character that you, you've you been following on Days of Our Lives who's back. <laughs> it's that, I can't think of her name. It's that actress who left for The Biggest Loser or whatever it was, and she's been on for 30 years or something like that. They just showed her. Uh, uh, is it... Karen, like Karen Alfonso or something, I, right? I okay, oh, but, whatever. Oh, but okay, but see, here here was the the thing, you know. Um, it, it's produ- so I was kind of curious because I thought they had canceled Days of Our Lives, and mm. what had happened is it had gone on a production hiatus. I was just kind of curious. They had they've renewed it through September of twenty twenty one. Oh wow! So okay. it, it, but it, interestingly enough, they they shoot these things eight months in advance, so they they shut down production uh, because of coronavirus in mm-hmm. March. Mm-hmm. But so they, they haven't made any new episodes since March, but they had like an eight month backlog. So they, they still if they don't film another sh- episode, they've, they've got enough to run through like October or oh, something good. like that. With, oh, good. With all the <laughs> with, with <laughs> well, well, I, I've never heard the show. I've ne- I've ne- I've it. never heard one voice on the program, but I see it almost every day. Well, little snippets. Well, I, I I've told this story before. I understand how passionate my grandmother always used to refer to soap operas as her stories. That, mm-hmm. that was sure. Story. She I, I I understand how passionate people are. The the worst job in our building, and we have a lot of great jobs in the building. But the worst job in the building is to be working the switchboard. When days of our lives are pre is preempted, because the phone for for what and I, I'm talking about for whatever reason. This is a true story. September 11th, 
Okay, you, you've got the, the the towers are coming down. You've got you know, people, and so I mean, it's wall to wall news coverage. People are calling the yeah. switchboard to Jeez. complain that Days of Our Lives has been preempted. <laughs> it's just mm-hmm. kind of you want to kind of like go, hey. <laughs> yeah, you watching what's going on in the world here? But <laughs> I can only imagine because they preempted quite a bit now to take some of the governor's oh. COVID nineteen <laughs> updates and different things. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Our President Trump news conference, they dipped in a couple of times for those. Right? Oh, I, yeah. I guess Imagine. Right. I guess it's one thing to to be bumped because of nine eleven. It's another thing to be bumped because of either a Trump news conference or Tony Evers. I, I, that's, that, that is probably the the next extent. But in any event, good news days of our lives around to September of twenty twenty one. My that my grandmother used to refer to them as my stories. Did you ever watch soap operas? No. Well, my my mother always watched Another World. And I remember seeing it, or or, but I never got into it. If that makes sense, I remember watching her watch it, and then like getting caught up in a half of an episode. But I never got, never got hooked. I, I, I and my late wife, we she was more into it for a longer period of time than I was. But we got into General Hospital because back when I was in law school at Marquette University Law School, now they have these huge fancy lounges and stuff. Back back then in, in law school, there was this. You know, in between classes, there was this kind of crummy room in the basement that had like five vending machines. And they built a whole new law school, but but this is back in the day that had like five vending machines and, and sort of a crummy TV that okay. was up on the wall. And, and, and General Hospital was always on. And there was a group of, of law students. Um, who, who watched General Hospital. And this is back in the days of Luke and Laura, and it was like the heyday of General oh, Hospital. Sure. And so ev- everybody watched General Hospital. So if, if you're down there between classes, you know, it, it's on. So you kind of find yourself getting sucked into this thing. So, I mean, I watched it for a little while, and then I, I kind of I aged out. My, my wife stayed with it for longer. She would tape it, you know. She would she would tape it, and then and then, you know, and then, it, but accumulate these things, and the problem is, you know, it's an hour a day. E- even you know, if you fast forward through it, you know, pretty soon, if you if you get busy and do other stuff, pretty soon you're a month or you're two months behind or something <laughs> yeah. like this. You're you're always chasing and you never get it. But um, yeah, so that was the only I I, used, I knew I did know some of the characters in General Hospital. And by the way, the actress I was referring to is Allison Sweeney. I don't know what her her name is on the show, but ah. she's and she's been on there forever. I mean, she's she started there as a kid, I think. Okay, well, we've settled with that. But Days of Our Lives going to be around. And if, for goodness sakes, to just take this a personal favor. If if you're tuning in and it's being preempted because there's some news thing, don't, don't call our switchboard and complain. The, the people that work there are extremely nice people. <laughs> you know, it's just and 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 they know. Believe me, everybody knows that that you're hacked off if General Hospital or if if uh, Days of Our Lives isn't on. Everybody knows that, you know. And so they're they'll they'll do their best to to deal with this. But don't take it out on the receptionists. Maybe we could give out the phone number of the guy that the general manager that makes the decision. Yeah. Hey, Joe. <laughs> now I don't want to get called into meetings. Okay, there is good news out there, sort of, kind of. One of the reasons. Let me see. Let me just check the stock market numbers. Uh, the Dow right now it's up about two hundred points. Nasdaq up about seventy. It actually opened about double that. And one of the reasons is there's there's a report out there that. Um, one of the, the companies that has been working to develop a vaccine has had a, a very a vaccine for coronavirus has had a very, very positive step. Here's the deal. It's Moderna. 
and um, their their experimental coronavirus has has come through the the first clinical tests. What they did is they apparently used it on 45 people, smaller smaller group, but they did a 45 people test, and what they found is the vaccine um, induced the desired immune response in all 45 people it was tested on. Now, you need a broader test than 45 people, but the initial results were positive, and what they've announced is that they're getting ready to do a, a larger study of, of several hundred people starting at, at the end of the month. But it, again, I, who knows exactly what's going on, but it, it's an encouraging thing. So it, it, the first phase, it, it went well, so now they're going to do a larger study and then just kind of move on from there. But it's good news, and the stock market reacted well. That's why it was up, a, you know, like I say, several hundred points earlier today, down a little bit less. Now, they called the the program, though, and, and the government's program, it's designed and it's called Operation Warp Speed, which, in retrospect might not be the the best name you know for for something like this and the journal sentinel in usa today has a piece about this because you know th- there is this concern that i think people would have number 1 you got people that have a concern about vaccines and number 2 people have concerns about vaccines that are developed quote unquote at warp speed but let's be honest the the end of the coronavirus pandemic doesn't happen until we get a vaccine or so many people get sick that you have herd immunity, but that's not going to happen for a long time, and that's not a desirable thing. So they're, they're moving forward towards a, a vaccine. But as we've talked about before, one of the questions I have is whether people will sign up to voluntarily get it in the first wave. And I know we've asked this question a couple times before, but all right, it's different. We're now seeing a spike of coronavirus cases across the country. It's resulting in rolling back some of the reopening we did. It's while in most parts of the country, you're not seeing huge spikes in deaths or in most parts, hospitalizations, hospital systems being overwhelmed, it's still front and center. We don't have a handle on COVID-19 now. My question is, as soon as they develop a vaccine, and when we talked to the Surgeon General uh, yesterday, he said, you know, it was his hope that, that maybe you would have something that by, I don't know, the winter would be able to be, you know, widely used. That was his hope. Our number, 855-616-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. If they came out with a new vaccine, I don't know, three months from now, all right, would, would you get it within the first 30 days? Would you be willing to be, not the guinea pig, not somebody in the test thing, but if a new vaccine, if the vaccine comes out, it's made readily available, are you going to be somebody that's signing up for it? 855-616-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Look, I, I don't want to be the test case, but, you know, the, the answer is if, if my doctor says he thinks it's safe, I'm probably going to get the shot, and I'm going to get the shot. I'm going to get the vaccine as soon as it's available to me. That's just me. How about you? We discuss in just a moment. 855-616-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Welcome back to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ.
855-616-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. All right. Good news today is that there is one of these companies that's working on a vaccine. They've said that in a, in a small trial, 45 people, in all 45, their vaccine had the quote-unquote desired effect. And now in the next week or two, they're getting ready to expand this to a, a broader a broader number of people, several hundred. Now, that, that doesn't mean that there's going to be a vaccine, you know, in the next two weeks or something. But it is it is a positive development, which I, I think brings us closer to the end of this mess that, that we are in and are probably going to be in until we, we find a vaccine. But just because you, you get the vaccine, just because it's there, doesn't mean that people will take it. So that's my question to you. You know, when the vaccine comes out, are you going to be among the first to, to take it? Will you get it in the first 30 days? Let's start with Gianni and Montello. You're in WTMJ. Good afternoon. Yeah, good afternoon, Jeff. Uh, great, great uh, topic. Hey, listen, uh, no, I would be first in line to get the vaccine. I think this is very good news, and um, I, I don't see any downside with, with it. Um, and I, I will also be in this, the, in this, you know, in September, October, when they get the uh, seasonal flu vaccine, I will be getting that as well. So I, I don't see any downside. I, I mean, uh you know, let's give credit to these companies um, that are that are uh, doing multiple trials. I, I trust Big Pharma and I trust the mm-hmm. FDA. Um, well, I mean, I guess the downside so would be what, what, what's the downside? Well, I mean, the downside would be that there's that that mostly most times it takes years to develop a vaccine, and that the downside would be that there might be some long term side effect that that isn't picked up in in a vaccine that's developed. A quote unquote at, at warp speed. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Um, I, now, well, I, but I'm with you. Don't get me wrong. Yeah. I'm getting the vaccine. If, if they tell me they think it's safe and they've done the stuff, I'm with you. I'm getting the vaccine. I I, I want to try to put but, but, this but thing behind us. Is- the problem is, Jeff, though, that there, there is an anti-vaccine uh, movement in this country, and I'm not sure that I'm in the majority. No, um, I, I, Johnny, no, thanks so, for calling. That, that's my question. And that's, I mean, 855-616-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. And it's really, it, it's two, to your point, Johnny, there, there's, there's two things going on. There, you're exactly correct. There is, there is an anti-vaccine movement in the country, people who under no circumstances would, would get vaccine. You have the, the people who, you know, don't want to have their kids get the measles and mumps and, and, and those things. So you've got that segment of the community that's there. And then you have the other group of people who are, are not necessarily anti-vaccine, but to the point I was just making, that they, they have concerns. The, the concerns being, okay, have we de- have we developed this too fast? If it took... I, I'm, I'm willing to be fact check on this, but I, I think my recollection is the quickest vaccine that we have ever developed was the um, the polio vaccine that they got in like four years, I think, as I recall. Um, so this th- this is going to be if let's say by let's say by the end of the year they they have this vaccine. This for the sake of argument, you know, that's going to be something that was developed in less than a year. Now again. You know, medical science is different now than it was 40 or 50 years ago, and there's been all these different advances that perhaps allow you to do it quick, more quickly. But the, the argument is, okay, you know, is, is it potent, you're, you're not going to know if there's long-term side effects from something that it's only been 
it's taken nine months to develop. So there is a risk that's involved. And I guess the question becomes not just among the people who are anti-vaccination, period, because they're not going to get it, but it's going to be among people who aren't anti-vaccination but might worry about Operation Warp Speed. Would they want to... um would they want to delay it? Um, okay, Jeff, I would take the vaccine. I have asthma and bronchitis. I just can't afford to come down with uh, COVID. Um, let's see. No way would I take this. Um, let's see. Jeff, um, if I already had the antivirus, why would I get a shot? Well, I guess, you know, but, right, if, if you were immune to it, you, you probably wouldn't need the vaccine, but I don't know that there's that many people that are immune to this. Jeff, I would not take the vaccine because it's not been tested thoroughly. What could be the re- repercussions if it was not right? All right. Um, I, Jeff, I will wait at least a few months to see how it affects people. Jeff, yes, yes, yes. Me, I'll take the vaccine as soon as it comes up. Um, yeah, I mean, so you've You've got that that's going on. Jeff, 100%, the effects can't be worse than COVID itself. Jeff, vaccine, yes. Um, Jeff, uh, let's see. Uh, vaccine, not a chance. This is being pushed way too fast to have any long-term sort of studies. Um, Jeff, I would get it as soon as possible and would even do a, a test case. All right. Well, I, I just I, I, I put that out there. Because that's going to be the other question. Once this comes out, once it hits the market, once it is available to the general public, whenever that is, hopefully sooner rather than later, you're going to have to make a decision as to which way you go. And I don't know what the percentage is going to be. My guess is, my guess is, my guess is 40 to 50 percent of the population will agree to get the COVID vaccine. And, and that is. If it works, that may be enough to start moving towards that herd mentality. That might be aggressive. That that might be it might be a bit much, but I think I think so many of us just want to try to get this thing past us that we're willing to take those risks. So I, my guess is forty to fifty percent. If you do that, things are probably going to be okay. Back with more in just a minute. This is Jeff Wagner. This is Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. Jeff, I would absolutely get the vaccine when it's ready. Why aren't there more stories being reported about potential vaccines that are there? Well, that I mean, right, that's again, that's one of the reasons the stock market is up today. Jeff, have you heard that some early indications are that immunity may only last a couple of months after someone has contracted and recovered from it? Um, yeah, Jeff, my guess is when the vaccine comes out, there won't be enough to go around. Well, that's one of the other issues. It's like, and, and they're, they're debating this now, who gets the first sets of the vaccine? Is it the people in the more vulnerable populations or is it the general population? Interesting. Here's a text that says, Jeff, I get myself and my kids vaccinated for most things, but I will not get the COVID-19 vaccination due to the unknown long-term health effects. However, my parents are in their 70s. I will encourage them to get it because the side effects of COVID are known to be deadly. Um, interesting theory. That's what I think is going to happen when they start rolling out the vaccines. My guess is it will be prioritized. And other people, in other words, people in the more 
vulnerable age groups, meaning older people, people with some of those various conditions that make them more susceptible to bad outcomes, my guess is those people, to the extent they want it, will be at the front of the line. You're listening to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. Milwaukee's 8th Aldermanic District is just a little bit to the west of downtown. It, it starts like around, the it, 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 district kind of meanders, but it starts around 16th Street, goes out to 44th Street, and St. Paul would be the, the northernmost boundary of this, and Canal Street, and then it, it goes down um, running south past Lincoln Avenue. So that, that's kind of the area, um, the, the near the near south side goes covers Mitchell Street, but to again the west. It starts on like 16th Street. So that's it. It's it's currently represented by um, the older woman is named Jocasta Zamoripa. She's she's been around for a while. She was a st- well, matter of fact, was she is she's a state representative and, and represents you know that assembly district that's encompassing in there. Um, she. Ran for alder woman, alder person. She ran in April and and won. So she is now serving as the alder person for that that area. Um, Milwaukee aldermen make. Um, gosh, I've got the number right here. I mean, it's it's not a bad gig salary wise. If you're a Milwaukee alder person, you make seventy three thousand bucks a year, seventy three grand. All right. Um, as a state rep, state representative, she makes. $53,000 a year, uh, approximately. All right, so she's a state representative. Her term runs through the end of, of this year. The election is going to be in November, and but her term you know, runs until the end of the year. Um, she's currently serving as the, the alderman. She won in April, and so she's doing that. Being an alder person, is alderman is viewed as a full-time job. She's making 73-plus grand for that. She's also state representative. She has not stepped down from her seat. She is continuing to draw the 53 grand a year as the state representative. So she's essentially doing two, quote-unquote, full-time jobs. Now, uh, this was originally, the story originally came from um, WWM, and it was picked up, I saw it on Urban Milwaukee, which is one of the, the local you know, websites that covers urban areas. And so they, they they went out and they started asking questions to her about, well, you're, you're doing these full-time jobs at taxpayer a- expense, and don't you think maybe you should, you know, you're good, you've been elected to the alder person, you know, you're being paid full-time salary for that, do you think it's right that the taxpayers are also paying you a second full-time salary for your, your job in the assembly? And in her response, and I'm quoting now, this is a quotation from her, I think it's unfair that I'm being criticized or attacked or questioned around this. Um, I do find it interesting that the question okay and then she says there were two men in wisconsin who served in more than one elected office and she says quote i do find it interesting that the question would be pointed towards me a queer latina and not these men so that that's that's a quote that's not me saying that um so in other words she's saying well i i don't think i should be questioned uh, about this and am i being singled out because of my ethnicity or my gender or my sexual orientation 
Our number, 855-616-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Let me be real clear here. I, I don't... I. I don't care about her race or her gender or her sexual orientation. It make, makes no difference to me. I just think it's wrong. And by wrong, I'm not talking about illegal. Apparently, you're, you're allowed to do this. But I think it's wrong for elected officials to hold multiple full-time jobs at the same time at taxpayer expense. There have been a couple examples of this in the past. You know, Urban Milwaukee correctly notes that most of the times where you see this, it's maybe somebody's like a part-time mayor, and and then they get elected as state representative, and and so they continue in both positions, but it's really not a full-time gig. Um, Spencer Coggs, in 2012, um, he won as city treasurer, and he did serve out the rest of his term in the legislature. As a matter of fact, I remember when that happened, and I remember us discussing how, at least in my opinion, that was the wrong thing to do. Uh, Dean Calfert, who's a Republican, um, he was the Nina mayor, and he continued to serve as the an assembly member and the mayor, and I thought that was wrong. But let's tee this up. Our number, 855-616-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. And again, I... I, I don't care about her gender. I don't care about her sexual orientation. I don't care about her ethnicity. But here you have an elected official who is now receiving two full-time salaries for two positions. Can you do both? Should you be able to do that? 855-616-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. And, and by the way, in fairness to the state representative, I get, or the older person, to, to me, the the best argument you could make would be to say, well, there are members of the assembly who have full-time or, or who have jobs outside of the assembly. For example, Speaker Robin Voss, as we've talked about before, he, he runs a relatively successful you know, business in Burlington, um, a popcorn wholesaler that, that employs 50 people. So I guess maybe the argument would be if if that's okay, if people can work outside of the assembly, is there anything wrong with collecting two paychecks from taxpayers? My answer would be I think it's different. And, and yeah, I, I don't think you should be collecting from taxpayers two full-time jobs when you can only work one full-time. 855-616-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. What do you think about this double dipping? Because that's clearly, you know, what it is. All right. We discuss in just a moment. Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. 855-616-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Texter says, Voss's business is private. She's taking both salaries from the public. And, and I do agree that that's a to me, in my mind, that is a distinction. I mean, there's there's lots of people in the legislature who are like citizen legislators that they collect their salary, but they also do things on there. There's, there's farmers, for example. You know, they, they run the farms and and they also they're in the legislature, so they're making money from from the farms. Um, this, in my mind, at least, it's different because here you have somebody who's taking two salaries from the, the taxpayers, one from the state taxpayers and one from the taxpayers of the city of Milwaukee. Is that a distinction without a difference? Let's start with James in New Berlin. James, you're on WTMJ. Hey, Jeff. Thanks for taking my call. What do you think? 
Well, I couldn't agree with you more. I mean, I don't think that anybody, despite, you know, sexual orientation, religious preference, race, should take any double salary from a civil servant position. That's exactly the key word there. They are civil servants. They're working on behalf of the people. They're working with taxpayer dollars. And there's no way that she can effectually do two full-time jobs for that period of time and actually be maximum efficient in both positions. Besides that, you know, the comparison to like a Robin Voss or even like a Joe Sanfilippo, you know, the reality is, is that these are private businesses. And I mean, doesn't that really scream how our founding fathers were? They all had careers or jobs in other industries and they serve the public in a part-time or in a additional capacity. I mean, that to me, career politicians worry me. Yeah, well, so, I mean, it, it, I mean, thanks. I mean, it is, it is interesting. And by the way, I want to be real clear here. It, this is legal. There, there's nothing that stops that stops people from doing it. I think it is unseemly. I, I guess that that's the best way I would describe it. I mean, I, I, I don't, I don't think this happens a lot because my guess is that most people, when they they find themselves in the situation, you know, they get elected, the the response is, okay, I, I've I've aspired, I want to get started on my new gig. I, I've been elected. Um, I, I'm now an older person for the city of Milwaukee. Here, I'm going to vacate my my previous office. I, I'm not going to hang on to it. And in particular, I'm not going to keep the, you know, the 50 grand a year. Now, of course, she's, she's not going to be paid 50 grand. It's going to be from the time she took office. So, um, it, it'll, it'll be a prorated amount. But still, I think most people would think, you know, this just doesn't look right because these are, again, it's that appearance of impropriety. This is not barred by the statute. My guess is very few people, very few politicians do it because they realize the appearance of this isn't, isn't very good that you're collecting on from the taxpayers for two legislative jobs. Let's talk to uh, Mike on the Northwest side. Mike, you're on WTMJ. Hi, good afternoon, Jeff. What do you think? Hey, my thoughts are it's, uh, totally wrong. Uh, she's got two positions, and uh, her constituency should be uh, questioning their representation for both of these positions. And if she can do both uh, jobs full-time here, then they ought to start looking at the aldermen and state reps and make those both part-time jobs and look at that differently. Mike, you, 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 are, you are a Wilbury. That's a great, great point. I guess, see, that's what I thought. If you can, let us assume that she is able to do both of those jobs simultaneously and do them effectively and the constituents aren't aren't hurt. That tells me that we're paying the aldermen too much. That tells me that we're paying the state representatives too much. That tells me that we should make these part-time gigs if one person can do both jobs at the same time. Uh, question, Jeff. Yes. What's a yeah. Wilbury? All right, hang on. I will tell you that it is a very good thing, by the way, Mike. I not too oh, many callers okay. are Wilburys, but I'm, all right, I'm I'm going to hang up on you, but I'm going to tell you what this is. Thanks for calling. You are a Wilbury. We we rolled this out yesterday. We had our caller Vincent from the Northwest Side it was the first one that I recognized as as a Wilbury. Here here, and Mike is a regular caller as well. Here's the deal. There is. 
<laughs> I get sidetracked. There is there, back in the eighties, there was a supergroup called the Traveling Wilburys, and it was it was a real supergroup. It was George Harrison, it was uh, Bob Dylan, it was Tom Petty, it was Jeff Lynne, it was Roy Orbison. It was the, the true supergroup, and they were they were the Traveling Wilburys. And so the you know ever since then there was a saying that that broke up that came out which. You know, are, are you a Wilbury? You, for example, you've got to be really great to be a Wilbury. Um, the, the example they always gave is back, back in the 70s. Jack Nicholson, he as the actor, he was a Wilbury. Richard Dreyfus, yeah, he was good, but he wasn't a Wilbury. Mike, you are a Wilbury. It's the highest compliment that I can pay to callers for great points, um, et cetera. You know, to be a Wilbury. You know, that's that's the thing. So, you know, in all these different professions, you have you have Wilburys and you can't declare yourself to be a Wilbury. Other people need to recognize it. But, um, yes, great callers. They are Wilburys. That's a good thing. And, and you're right. See, that's the point. That's what jumped up to me with this whole story. If you can do both jobs at the same time, that's great. That tells me, though, that we shouldn't be paying full time salaries to people for doing those jobs, because apparently you can be a Milwaukee alderman at the same time you are an effective state representative. So, all right, maybe these are both part-time gigs. Kind of seems obvious, doesn't it? Danny in West Dallas. Danny, you're on WTMJ. I want to be a Wilbury, too. <laughs> oh, you, okay, that's the other rule, Danny. You can't ask to be a Wilbury. You have to kind of... No, yeah, I, or, yeah. <laughs> I'm, a big fan. I'm a big fan of that group, too. Sure. Um. Okay, so this really angers me because, okay, her answer is basically, well, they got away with it, why can't I? Right. So when is she going to answer that, answer a question again with that answer? Like, say, for example, if she takes a bribe for something. Well, well other people have gotten away with it, why can't I? Yeah, but that's criminal. This isn't, I mean, th- thanks for calling. I mean, that, that's criminal. This isn't criminal. The, the, the statutes allow you to double dip. Some people are just sending me um, text saying, we just turned on the radio. Who, who's double dipping? If you're just tuning in, um, newly elected alderwoman Jocasta Zamoripa, who represents the 8th Aldermanic District in Milwaukee. She won in November. She's she's become an alder person. She's serving. She's full-time. She's drawing a, a deal. She makes around 73 grand a year. She was a state representative when she ran for alder, when she ran for this gig. She has not stepped down from her position as state representative. She is continuing to draw her fifty-two, dollars $53,000 a year salary on the state. So she's, she's double-dipping. She's getting paid by the state taxpayers, the taxpayers of the state, for doing the assembly job. She's getting paid by the city of Milwaukee for doing that job. It is, by the way, legal. It doesn't happen that often. And there's, I think, there's like two public examples of of people doing like full time jobs that I, that at least I'm I'm aware of. There might be some more out there, but it doesn't happen very often. Normally, you know, you run for a different office. Once you get elected, you step down from the your first office. But she's collecting both. She says she continues to do that. She says that she's being singled out because of her sexual orientation and her ethnicity and her gender. That, that's not true. She's being singled out because I, I think this strikes a lot of people as being wrong. It certainly strikes me as being wrong. It's not illegal. I think it probably not illegal might be the wrong word, but I don't think you should be able to do it. I think public officials should be barred from this. And if you can, in fact, do two jobs, two full time jobs that are essentially set up to get you full time pay, if you can do those both at the same time in the public sector, I, I think. That tells you that maybe those jobs aren't really full-time jobs, and maybe we should look at cutting the pay in half. Just saying. 
This is Jeff Wagner. Well, it's all right. Those, of course, are the traveling Wilburys, the, the, a real true super group. Bob Dylan, Jeff Lynn from ELO, Roy, the late Roy Orbison, the late George Harrison, the late Tom Petty. I mean, that that's a true super group. They they are the Wilburys, and I I just. You know, there, there's always this to be on, on this program. We have regular callers, and I, I just want to recognize them. The highest compliment I can pay is that you are a Wilbury. You know, some of our callers, I just want to reach out. You are Wilburys. Um, just like you look at, I mean, you, you are the, the Bob Dylans and the, and the, the Tom Petty's and, and all that, the George Harrison's of the talk radio world. Got to love it. So you, you want to be a Wilbury. It's a very, very good thing. Right, Tony? We want to be Wilburys, right? Always strive to be a Wilbury. Try, strive <laughs> to be a Wilbury. Absolutely. That is, see, that's kind of my motto. When I come in every day, you know, it's like, okay, can, can I, I, I want to be a Wilbury. Can, can I, can I do the kind of show? Can I be a Wilbury at the end of the day? And, you know, again, other people have to, other people end up having to judge that, you know, and so, but I, I, I've been here 22 years. I've been in this market 25 years. Every day I start off saying, man, I, I today, I, I just, I, I want to live up to that standard. I want to be a Wilbury. We'll see. Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Good afternoon, Wisconsin. Welcome back to the show. All right, lacrosse. Now, when you think about lacrosse, I think the, uh, I, I always remember, and I think they're gone now, but right outside, there used to be the the old um, Heilemann uh, Brewery, and they used to have the, these giant old-style beer cans. I, I have a, after I, gosh, it was... It was after I got out of college and before I was in law school, I think. We, went, we took a little road trip. My my dear friend Evan and one of my college roommates, Greg, and we, we went and we, we hit a number of breweries in uh, in the state. We went and we, we caught the – used to be a brewery in Eau Claire called Walters, and then we went up to Heilemann, and then we – oh, we went to all sorts. Of course, to all the different Milwaukee breweries. This is back in the day where you had the three Milwaukee breweries. Then we went over to Stevens Point. It was a great it – it was a brewery road trip. Out we went to – uh, Linen Kugels and Chippewa Falls, of course, as well. And we have pictures, and there's a picture of I, I think the two or three of us, you know, standing in front of all the big old style cans, and they had the King Olaf statue that's out there as well. If you are familiar with lacrosse, there is another huge statue, um, Riverside Park, which is downtown Lacrosse on 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 the Mississippi River. Um, since 1961. There has been a 25-foot-tall sculpture. It's it's known as the Hiawatha Statute. Statue. Statute. Statue. Um, if you want to see a picture of this, if you follow me on Twitter, at Jeff Wagner 620 I've got a link to this story. It, it's been there since 1961. It was created by a lacrosse art teacher out of cement and, and wire. And it was... Um, it was 
it's located at the north end of Riverside Park, and it's it's pretty close to the landing of the near the Lacrosse Queen, the, the, the boat, and so it, it's there, and it's. It's it's kind of kitschy, I, I guess, you know, maybe sort of like, you know, it, it's not like this is a statue of Abraham Lincoln or a statue of Robert E. Lee. It's it's kind of kitschy, I guess, in a way. But the Hiawatha statute, uh, statue shows a, a 20 foot, 25 foot tall. It would be a, a Native American dressed in what we would describe as traditional Native American garb, you know, with the. The, the headdress and the feather and the buckskins and things like that. And and it's been there, like I say, for 60 years. It's it's a, it's a tourist attraction, I, I guess, would be the best way to, to do it. it. It's Is it stereotypical? Well, yeah, I, I guess to the extent that, you know, you, you see statues of, um, I don't know, Paul Bunyan that might be around and it's the guy with the axe or, or something like that. So I guess it's stereotypical to an extent, but I don't think people in general have found it to be overly offensive. I mean, it's, it's, it's kitschy, I guess would be the best way to do it. They say it. The mayor of Lacrosse is now behind this movement to get rid of the, the statue. Um, he, he wants to have the sculpture taken down. Now, part of the problem is it's going to cost, um, well, thousands of dollars to take it down and to, to store it somewhere. But, you know, they're, they're saying, okay, this, this is controversial. People find, some people may find this to be offensive because, again, it, it is, I mean, it is stereotypical, I guess, to an extent, because to some extent it, it is kind of a caricature, but it's something that, that people know. Have, have you seen the Hiawatha statue that, that's there? And the, the mayor is now suggesting that, okay, well, we, we, we can't have this there anymore. Our number, 855-616-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Now, this is not a, this is not a tribute to, say, a Confederate uh, general. So this isn't why are we honoring Robert E. Lee because you know the, the South were traitors and they didn't win the war, etc. Why are we doing this? That, that's that's not what this is. It's it's a twenty five foot Hiawatha statue. Some pe- statue. Some people call it the Big Indian. That's what it's referred to. All right, have we reached the point in twenty twenty? And I think it was pretty much put up kind of in in good fun. Although I mean, of course, Lacrosse has significant Native American ties. Have we reached the point in twenty twenty? where reasonable people would be offended by a statue like that to the point that it, it's it got to go. Is it the same as the Redskins, for example? 855-616-1620, that's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I, I guess I look at this and I, I wonder, have we completely lost our, our sense of humor? I mean, it's, I, I find it difficult to believe that somebody, a reasonable person, would look at this statue and be offended by it any more than somebody would look at, uh, again, a, a statue of, of Paul Bunyan and, and say, okay, I, I'm offended because I'm, I'm, an, I'm a woodsman that, that goes out and chops down trees. 855-616-1620, that's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Do, do statues like this have to go? We discuss in just a moment. This is Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. 
Yeah, if you are a graduate of UW Lacrosse or you live in the Lacrosse area or was a regular visitor, I'm sure you know what I'm talking about. Because if you've been to that Riverside Park, you you know the 25 foot tall statue of they call it the Hiawatha statue. It's been there since the early 1960s. That the mayor has now decided he thinks it needs to be taken down because some people might be offended. I, I really. I mean, really? 855-616-1620. And if you are familiar with this statue, I, I'd be particularly interested in hearing your perspective on this. Let's start with Christina in Hartford. Hi, Christina. Hey, Jeff. How are you? I am well, thank you. Okay, what do you think? Well, I was born and raised in La Crosse, and I also went to Madison, so I got a little PC skills behind me, too. <laughs> um, <laughs> but I always saw the Indian as very informational and respectful. I saw it as an honor to the Indians who lived there before we did and passed some of their wisdom on to us. And I would also like to say that right in that very same park, a couple hundred feet away, there's also another statue of American Indians playing lacrosse. Um, so I'm sorry if it offends somebody. My point of view, I saw it as we were honoring you. So that's my two cents. Yeah, um, I, you're right. Exactly. I mean, I, I and you're you're right. Now that you mention that, I, I know what you're talking about. I mean, this is it, it's not intended as as a mocking sort of thing. Now, it's you know some people might say it's kitschy, and okay, there there, there might be some element to it, but it's not intended mm. to make fun or mock the Native Americans. And correct. And actually, I don't know if it still works, but when I was a kid, we used to beg for quarters because you could put a quarter in it and it would give you a historical rundown on, you know, the information. So, you know, yeah. what can you ask for? <laughs> well, right. No, right. It's, 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 no, thank, thanks for calling. Yeah, and I, don't, I, don't, I don't know if, if, if that still works either. But, yeah, it's it's it, it's there. There's no intention. And I don't think anybody argues that there's bad motives here. And, and, and yes, is it a somewhat stereotypical depiction of, you know, of a Native American from back in the day? Well, yeah, but it's that's what it's intended to be. It's to honor the traditions. Here's a text. Jeff, I used to visit the statue as a kid with my siblings and grandparents. I was always in awe of it. And we made it. It made me feel like lacrosse had a greater connection to American Indians than Milwaukee area did. I spent the school year in Milwaukee and summers in La Crosse with mom. I seriously thought the statue was awesome as a kid and as an adult it makes me nostalgic when I visit Riverside Park now. We need to cancel the cancel culture. Um, let's see. Then somebody says, so Jeff, do we have to change the name of Amtrak too? It is, of course, the Hiawatha line. I, I don't know where you draw the line. Mike in Oconomowoc. Mike, you're on WTMJ. Thanks for taking my call. Hi, Mike. Uh, I, my family and my wife's family grew up just south of La Crosse, and we feel that it's an honor to uh, Native Americans in that. There's a lot of history that goes along with uh, the Native Americans out in that uh, area. Right. There's a lot of, uh, you know, nice uh, things that um, portray the Indian and the Native Americans. Well, well, right, and I think that's I think that that's clearly the way it was thought of when the guy created it, when it was erected in the, the first place. I don't think anybody argues that there was any sort of offense that was in, intended at all. The thing I always look at is you go to Prairie to Shane, and you've got uh, you know there's so much history down there, also and across all the way through that Mississippi Wisconsin River area, and you know. I just can't see why we want to cancel this, 
take it out because it's part of the history and you know if it's gone no one will ever know it again um well exactly i mean and 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 what are we supposed to do pretend that this did not occur um it's i mean here's the description of this as a matter of fact it's it's featured in roadside america which which talks about like attractions that you find 25 foot tall 20 20 tons cement um, Indian stands with arms crossed, unveiled in October 1961 after four years of work by a local high school art teacher. So, I mean, it's, um, you know, it, it's attractive. I think most people view this as just absolutely overwhelming, just like just like the the statue of Abraham Lincoln on Baskin Hill, you know, it, that just like that's an attraction where people go to have their photographs taken. Th- this this is an attraction as you know well at the time that it was unveiled it was the world's largest hiawatha three years later michigan one built one even even bigger um they, they were talking about taking down the statue in 2000 um but apparently the the local community got together and raised like 20 grand to have it repaired and and it's been there it's been there ever since uh but now the mayor wants to get rid of it jack on the south side jack you're on wtmj good afternoon Hey, Jeff. Thanks for taking my call. Sure. Um, so I, I grew up uh, in La Crosse. I spent my summers with my three older siblings uh, visiting. My mom lived there, and my dad lived in Milwaukee area. So we went back and forth our uh, entire childhood. And, uh, you know, as soon as I heard you mention the Indian, like, <laughs> I vividly pictured it because right. I, I used to go down to Riverside Park a couple times each summer biking uh, and, and, and walking down there. Uh, and my grandparents would always take me down there. And my grandpa, Jim, who's since passed away, he was a police officer uh, in the city there for, you know, 35-plus years. And he and I used to walk down, and we both, I remember, shared this kind of equal, I don't know, I guess you'd call it, like, awestruck uh, view of that statue. Right. And and I I was the kind of kid that, you know, I ended up being a history major at UW-Madison, and like your previous caller, you know, I got my full dose of PC education as well. (laughs) Right. But... uh, I was the kind of kid who I loved placards and I loved, you know, historic monuments. And, and when I see, when I saw that Indian, and if, if anyone hasn't seen it, I recommend they look at the, you know, picture of it. The, the Indians, you know, this American Indian stands proud. This yeah. isn't a savage. This is not like a savage portrayal of an American Indian. It's a proud portrayal. And, and, and there is, you know, there's the other statue of them playing uh, lacrosse uh, near it, where right. the other caller mentioned. It's, um, I honestly, I haven't seen anything quite like that statue in the state of Wisconsin. And, you know, some people forget our state is named, you know, after American Indian uh, word, the state, you know, Wisconsin, and not to mention many of our cities. So it's right. I I think you you can remove this. But I think this is another perfect example of we need to cancel cancel culture. (laughs) I I, know. I think I see. I I, Jack, I I couldn't agree with you more. And and that's it. I mean, look, I is this mocking? Is it intended to demean another culture? Oh, okay. Then I get the is it is it recognition of I don't know the the Confederacy that that existed to try to preserve slavery? Okay, I I understand at least the arguments for why you, you 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 take down those statues. This. I mean, again, it's designed as a tribute. Is there somewhat stereotypical? Yeah, but but there's stereotypical stuff that's all over. It's an attraction. I don't think anybody is really offended. Candidly, if you are, you're one of those people that kind of wake up being the what I describe as the politically correct and the perpetually offended. And again, if you if you want to see this, it's I, I've got a link on, on to the, the story that talks about this, and you, you can check the, this out um, at. My Twitter account, it's at Jeff Wagner 620. But at some point in time, you go, really? I mean, is this what the fight is all about?
about. I even understand the Redskins nickname controversy. Okay, I, I understand why reasonable people could be offended by that nickname. But in this case, the Hiawatha statue recognizes, I, I, I don't know, recognizes the relationship between the people of lacrosse and the Native American community. And you can argue about whether it's art or not. And But, but I mean, my, my God, we have a... We have this big orange sunburst at the end of Wisconsin Avenue, and people say you can't move that because it, it's art. Well, okay, th- this is art. Where are the people that are up there defending? You know, if, if you're going to defend the orange sunburst, you know, you certainly should be defending, I don't know, the historical representation of the American Indian. In this case, it's the Hiawatha statute. You can check it out, the, the controversy. Again, follow me on Twitter at Jeff Wagner 620 This is Jeff Wagner.